Has anyone here ever been to a wax museum? Wow, more people than I thought. Uh, I haven't, but there are a lot of videos online of wax museums. Has anybody ever seen a video where there's some celebrity, and the wax uh, is supposed to be of some celebrity, but it's actually a celebrity standing in the place uh, to pull a prank? Well, what happens is they go up to this wax figure, they think it's a celebrity, they stand by the wax figure, they take a picture, and all of a sudden the wax figure moves and looks at them, and then they, they sort of jump and freak out a little bit. I, I saw one recently with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's pretty crazy. And I've always wondered, how do they not realize that this is not a real person? How do they not realize that it's not a wax figure? Because even though the wax figure looks exactly like them or just like them, there's going to be things that a human does that the wax figure won't. Even if you're trying not to move, you're going to see little movements, tiny movements. There's going to be little breaths of air that come that a wax figure is not going to do. So I always have had a difficulty understanding how they, they fell for this prank. We'll come back to that. Many people claim that Paul and James's teaching on justification is irreconcilable. They believe that they're contradicting each other. Let me show you a slide. So, here's Paul. For we hold, just look at this for a second. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then James, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You guys see the problem? The tension, at least? On the surface, it seems like everything I taught last week, that we are justified, declared righteous, declared innocent in God's sight, based on the work of Jesus Christ alone and based on faith in him, it seems like James is denying that. As I said, many people said this is irreconcilable. Some people even say that James is directly refuting Paul. If you look at uh, 2.20, it says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Many people say that James there is talking about Paul. Many people don't think it's a contradiction. Uh, many Catholics, they point to James, they point exactly to this text in 2.24, to say, you guys see, you Protestants, you got it wrong. Luther got it wrong. When Paul was talking about us being justified by uh, faith and not by works of the law, all he was saying is, we're not justified by the works of the law, the old covenants. There's a new covenant that come, and he's just saying you won't be justified in that old covenant anymore. You got to go to the new covenant with Jesus. But we are justified by doing works of charity and generally just doing good works. One scholar said, one Catholic scholar said, the only place in scripture where you see that we are justified by faith alone is when it says we are not justified 
by faith alone. Which is what James says. That would work to reconcile the issue, except there's many other problems with that interpretation. How do Protestants reconcile these two statements? And if you don't know, you're a Protestant. Now you know. Some people have proposed a solution that what Paul is saying and what James is saying, or when Paul says we are justified, what he means is that we are declared to be righteous, and he's talking about our righteousness in front of God. They say what James is saying is that it means shown to be righteous, and it's talking about our righteousness in front of other men. So they're just talking about different things. One's talking about God, one's talking about righteousness in front of men. That does reconcile the two, that does make the problem go away, but I think that interpretation's wrong. Justification, when you, when you translate a Greek word, there's many, there's priorities of things that it could be. Declared righteous is the normal, ordinary term 90-something percent of the time. Shown to be righteous is very rare. So I doubt that's what it's saying. The other thing is, he's not talking about our righteousness in front of other men. He's talking about acceptance with God at the end time judgment. Look at the context immediately before our text. Look at 2.13. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Now look at the context immediately after our text. James warns that teachers in James 3.1 will be judged with greater strictness. The context before and the context after is talking about end time judgment with God and because justification itself is a legal forensic term, it makes sense that it's talking about justification at the end time judgment. How are we right in God's sight? We talked about Luther last time. What would Luther say about this? Remember, Luther was the one, he's, he's going through the book of Romans and he goes to 117 and he sees that the righteousness of God and that the just shall live by faith and it was the, the imputation of Christ's righteousness and we're saved by faith alone by, and God gives us the gift of righteousness. What would he say about James? He called James an epistle of straw. And what he meant by that, you go to 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about a foundation being Jesus Christ. He says if any teacher builds on the foundation with gold, they're going to get a reward. Silver, they'll get a reward. But some teachers build with straw, and that's going to be burned even though themselves will be saved. And what he's saying is James has got an epistle that's full of straw. Teaching is not edifying. It doesn't compare with Paul and Peter's letters. Here's, what, here's a quote. He says, St. James' epistle is really an epistle of straw compared to Paul and Peter's letters, for it has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. You do, you do see, uh, I do believe James believed we were justified and saved by Christ. There's not a lot of mention about Christ's work in his letter, though, about the cross. 
But I, I think that's mainly what he's getting at. You go to Paul and Peter, you see salvation in Jesus everywhere. You see not that much here in James, which James is basically Proverbs for the New Testament. It's wisdom literature, which is why you see less of that. But we get no help from Luther on this. Are Paul and James contradicting each other? Are they refuting each other? Are Catholics right? Should we start working to be accepted by God? I want to begin by saying that this is an extremely difficult text. Scholars for centuries have put so much effort and time into trying to reconcile these two statements and see how they work together. And I'm going to try to do it in a 30-minute sermon. With that said, I am completely and entirely convinced that Paul and James are in agreement. And that our acceptance is by faith alone based on the work of Jesus Christ alone. There's five big clues we have to look at in our text to understand how we reconcile these two. The first clue to reconciling Paul and James is we have to know the situations that we're dealing with. We have to know the situations and their context. In the backdrop of Paul letter, Paul's letters, he's arguing with people who claimed that Gentiles need to be circumcised, they need to follow the law, they need to become a Jew to be accepted with God. In two ways to put this, he was arguing against legalism and nationalism. And in light of that, Paul says, that goes against gospel of grace. That's us trying to earn favor with God. That's not how that works. We're justified by faith. And I would agree with Luther that we add alone there because that's what he meant. Now, imagine, imagine for a second that, well, just imagine even last week when I'm teaching that we are saved, we are justified, we are right in God's sight just by faith alone and not by anything that we do. Imagine in Paul's day when he taught that. Can you imagine how people might misunderstand that to say, that means I have a license for sin? If I'm saved by grace and not by anything I do, then why not just sin to the fullest extent? Why not just live out all my fleshly passions and desires because God accepts me by faith? Why not just do whatever I want and keep Jesus in my back pocket to save me at the end time judgment? That is what James was correcting. The people who had a perverted understanding of God's grace. Paul used to have to deal with this himself. If you go to Romans 6.1, don't go there, but if you go to Romans 6.1, it begins with, uh, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace might abound? 
He's understanding that if he's teaching that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, then that means he knows some people are going to say, well, let's just keep sinning. And so in chapter 6 is when he starts to deal with that. No, if you're in Christ, you were crucified with him. And that means your flesh was crucified, and that means your sinful nature was crucified. And if that didn't happen to you and you're still sinning, you haven't died with Christ. That's how Paul would answer that. In Romans 3, they said, some people even went so far to say that Paul taught that people should do evil. He says, Romans 3, and why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously have charged us with saying? Oh, to pervert the grace of God. James, as I said, he's correcting that misunderstanding. He's uh, going against people who believe that, that believed Paul's doctrine was uh, a license to sin. They even had a slogan. We know from some ancient documents that James isn't refuting Paul. He's refuting the perversion of Paul's doctrine. And we know that uh, because of those ancient documents that say that's what's happening. But there was a slogan that they had and the in Antioch, and they would say, we're justified by faith alone, like us, which is why Paul says, not by faith alone. That's what got him to that, but faith alone means something different, and we'll talk about that in a second. We have many people today that sort of have that same mindset, those who are, uh, that take Paul's doctrines that way. They, you hear some Christians say things like, oh, he's saved, but he's just not that committed yet. He's saved, but he's like, he's just not there yet. In other words, what they mean is he's saved, he's accepted by God, but he just never reads his Bible, never goes to church, uh, lives, uh, lives in a relationship and has sexual relationship outside of marriage, all these things. And Paul and James would both say, that's not right. That's not what we're teaching. That's not what we're saying. For many of these Christians, they can see these extreme levels of depravity, and they'd never be convinced that somebody's not saved, no matter how extreme their, their depravity is. And they'll say just like the people James is arguing against, we're not saved by what we do. These people have greatly misunderstood Paul. They greatly emphasize God's grace to the exclusion of other doctrines. And thankfully, God gave us James to balance that. So they're addressing two different situations. To summarize, Paul's confronting legalism and nationalism. James is confronting antinomianism, license to sin. That's the first clue for reconciling them. The second clue is the way that they are using the word faith. They're using faith differently. And I put contradictions in quotations because I don't think it's contradictions, but Paul says we are justified by faith alone. James, we are not justified by faith alone. So in Paul and James' statements, there are seemingly two contradictions that we have to deal with. James seems to deny uh, how Paul says we are justified, 
and he seems to affirm how Paul says we aren't justified. He denies how Paul positively says we are justified, or he denies how Paul positively says we are justified, and he affirms how Paul says we are not justified, if that makes sense. This is one where Paul is positively saying we are justified by faith, and James is negatively saying we're not justified by faith alone. This part of the tension is very easily reconciled. This, part is, this, this first part is easily reconciled because they're using faith differently. When Paul says we are justified by faith, he meant a faith that had great substance to it. For Paul, if somebody professed Jesus, but that profession didn't cause a person to be obedient, Paul would say they didn't have faith. For Paul, obedience was evidence of a true, vibrant faith. And if someone wasn't obedient, they didn't have faith. That's Paul's understanding of faith. Obedience flowed out of faith, which is why he says things in Romans like the obedience of faith. He also says in Romans 10 that a person has to confess that Jesus is Lord. What's implied in that? You have to obey him. When James, when he says faith alone, this faith alone is a summary statement for him uh, and it means a faith that has no accompanying works. A faith that has no works that accompany it. Look at verse 17. So also faith by itself, that's what I think he's saying, faith alone, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So faith alone for him means a faith that has no accompanying work. Essentially what it is, is it's someone who just acknowledges true doctrine. It's someone who simply says they agree with the gospel. It's an intellectual assent to true doctrine, right? If you look at 219, you see the way that he's using faith. He says, even the demons believe. Demons are more orthodox in their understanding of God than you and I will ever be in this life. They know more truths about God than you and I ever will in this life. But they hate what they know to be true. They live or they believe in correct doctrine, but are literally devils. And so you can see the way James is using faith. For James, a demon can have faith, right? That's the way he's using it. It's just this empty intellectual assent, acknowledging true doctrine. And you can see from verse 14 also, and this is very important, verse 14, because this frames the entire section it's precisely a quality of faith that James is talking about. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Notice he's talking about a certain kind of faith. Can that faith save him? For James, the answer is no. For Paul, the answer would also be no. As I said earlier, there are uh, lots of people who simply just assent to true doctrine. America is full of people who uh, 
claim to be Christian, but have lives that look nothing like what a Christian looks like, and but they claim to have faith. James is, whereas Paul would say they don't have faith, James is, uh, is granting them the privilege of saying they have faith. And he's saying that's not going to justify them. And Paul would agree, that doesn't justify them either. So they're just using the words differently, if that makes sense. A faith that does not produce works is a faith that will not save you. I also believe, though, that if James had Paul's understanding of faith, this strong faith that, that if you have real faith, you'll work uh, not to save yourself, but if you have real faith, it f- works will flow from that, I think James would agree that that, yes, that justifies you. So that reconciles the first part. When James seems to deny Paul's doctrine of being justified by faith alone, we actually see it's just they're using the term faith differently. And if they're using the term faith the same way, there would be no tension. That's the first way. That's the first one. The third clue to reconciling them is their understanding of, well, justify. It's really not too much of a clue. This is the second way that they are opposing each other or not opposing each other, don't take me the wrong way, but uh, they're seemingly opposing each other. Here's what seems to be James's affirmation of what Paul denies. It seems to be James affirming what Paul denies. Paul says we aren't justified by works, and James says we are justified by works. This is the most difficult part. The other one that we just looked at, that's, that's easy. This is the most difficult part of reconciling them two. This has a lot of tension because James seems to be saying that works are the instrument for us to be declared righteous. They seem to be saying that the works are the basis for our acceptance with God, which Paul denies. Paul uh, uses the word justify to mean declare, to be in the right, to be acquitted. I I watched my video, or my uh, sermon last week. And if you ever have to watch yourself on video, be prepared to cringe. (laughs) And I was doing that often. Oh, uh, um, I have to to correct something I said, Uh, even though I did correct it in the sermon. Uh, but I gave an illustration of a jury who is deliberating on a defendant, and I said that when the jury comes out and they declare that person not innocent, uh, that that's justification. Well, I meant to say innocent, not not innocent. So when a jury declares someone right in this situation, there's somebody, there's a prosecutor, he's saying you did this, the jury says, no, the defendant is in the right, that's what justification is. Right? We understand on that? We good on that? That's what Paul means. And the difficult thing about this text is that's what James means too. James 
is talking about vindication, about being declared innocent at the end time judgment. Unlike the word faith, they're using justify the same way. So we're not going to get too much of a clue here, but we at least have to understand that that's what he's saying also. The fourth clue, and this is one of the biggest, the last two are the biggest, is vantage points. Oh, I'm giving away my solution. Don't do that. Don't read that. (laughs) Um, You didn't see that. So, the next, the fourth clue is vantage points. What do I mean by that? I mean that they are looking at different points in the Christian life. Think about this for a second. When does justification actually take place? When are we justified? It's at the end time judgment, it's before God. We hope to be declared right, we hope to be innocent when we're all standing before God at the end time judgment. When Paul says that we are justified, he's bringing that end time announcement into the present. The end time announcement that we are acquitted, he's saying that in the present, right? You guys get that? I have an illustration to sort of explain what I mean. Um, This is mine. Thought a lot about this. Imagine we're in our home groups and I'm standing there and I'm just, I just start complaining and complaining and complaining. I'm like, I just got a speeding ticket. I was going 40 miles uh, over the speed limit. I got pulled over. Uh, A cop gave me a ticket and now I have to go to court on August 7th. Got to go appear in court on August 7th. And as I'm sitting there, I notice somebody who's never been to our home group before. And he says, you know what? I'm a judge. And I'm wanting to tell you right now that don't worry about August 7th. I'm telling you right now that you're innocent. Don't worry about what's going to happen on August 7th. I'm going to see your case. I'm going to hear it. And you're going to be okay. What just happened? He's taking the official court date of me when I have to go to court on August 7th, he's taking uh, that pronouncement of me being innocent and he's telling me right now, today, that I don't have to worry about the future. That's what Paul's doing. He's taking our end time uh, being acquitted, our end time uh, innocence verdict, and he's telling us in the present, you guys are justified, you're right, you don't have to worry about the end time judgment. Paul is looking at the beginning of the Christian life. Paul's focusing on the present. James, hold on a second. Paul is focusing on the present. I'll get, I guess I think I'm gonna get to this in a second. I have to look at my notes, but Paul's focusing on the present. James is looking at the official court date. James is looking at the official court date. He's looking at the end of time. If we're using the illustration, James is looking at my court date on August 7th. So we see that they have two vantage points. James is talking about the end time judgment. Paul is talking about the initial moment when we believe, right? 
He's talking about the initial moment when we believe, the moment we have faith. And Paul is saying that we are eternally accepted, justified by God before we do anything good. And that's why he, when he goes to Abraham, that's precisely what he's doing. Before Abraham was circumcised, before he did anything good, he wants to say that he believed God and God counted it to him as righteous. And if you're declared right with God the moment you have faith and you haven't done anything good, you haven't had time to do anything good, right? He's telling you at that moment that you're justified right with God by your faith and you haven't even had time to do any good works. And that's why he can say apart from works. James is looking at the end time judgment and he's saying if you never had good works, you won't be justified. If there was never obedience, there was never a transformation of life, you won't be justified. That's what is going on here. There's those two vantage points. If we're using my illustration again, if I'm sitting in this home group and the judge you know, tells me that I'm innocent, what if every day, starting today, until my court date on August 7th, I'm going 40 miles over the speed limit every single day? James would say, you're just you're abusing grace and you won't be justified. And the judge should rightly be like, yeah, you're not justified. James would say, or Paul would say, you were never justified to begin with. You were never declared innocent to begin with, which is demonstrated by the fact that you could care less about how, the graciousness of the judge. You can also see how they look at different vantage points by the way they look at Abraham. We already said Paul focuses on the moment Abraham believed God and had the status of righteousness. James look at, looks at Abraham's life when he offers up Isaac in verse 21. He's looking at a later point in life and saying, see, he did works. He did a good deed. He had his faith went into action. And what he's saying is, you see the kind of faith that Isaac had? That's the kind of faith that justifies. That's the kind of faith that Abraham had. That's the kind of faith that justifies. That's what he's saying. And we know that from verse 14, when it says, will that faith save him, that the whole discussion, even when he gets to 24 and he says we're justified by works, he's talking about a quality of faith, a kind of faith. And Abraham had the kind of faith that justifies. I was studying uh, a lot of different commentaries in preparation for this. I've actually spent a lot of time studying this subject and this issue. And I was going through one of my commentaries and I was confused about what one of the scholars was saying. And so I sent him an email uh, this is Douglas Moo. If you don't know who Douglas Moo is, uh, he's one of the best New Testament scholars. If I only had three people to teach me about Jesus for the rest of my life, Douglas Moo would be one of them. And so I sent him an email. Doo -doo 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 -doo. About an hour later, he responds, surprisingly. I, I you know, told him my points and stuff, and he, he agreed with all this, 
But he told me uh, another avenue and one of the better ways to reconcile this. Well, first he sent me an excerpt of his new commentary, which means I'm going to start emailing scholars from now on. But he said the way, one of the ways forward is to look at what they mean by the word by. Look at what they mean by the word by. We are justified by faith alone. We are justified by faith alone, or we are justified by works. He says for Paul, Paul wants to make it very clear that when he says by, he means the basis, the instrument of our acceptance is by faith alone in Jesus. The instrument for our acceptance is Jesus. And he says James is using it much more loosely. He's more terse with his words, meaning he, he, he compacts it. He doesn't uh, express fully everything he's saying. And he's using by much more loosely. He's not concerned with the basis of our justification. He's not concerned with the reason we're accepted. He just wants you to know that faith and works have to go together if you want to be declared right. He's just wanting to say that there has to be a work, there has to be works, a transformed life. He's not saying that's the reason you're saved by works. He's saying it just, it has to be there along with your faith. And Paul would say that a million times over. Paul says that over and over again. God is not going to be mocked. If you take my doctrine of justification by faith alone to mean you can sin and sin and sin, you don't understand what I'm saying. So James, as I said, he's, he's writing very, uh, in a terse way. He's saying it very brief and he could spell out further what he says, whereas Paul is expressing more clearly what he's saying. Here's how I put everything together. Because James' main focus is the quality of faith that saves somebody, here's my solution. And because it's terse, I think he's saying we are justified by a faith that works and not by a faith that doesn't work. I think that's what he's saying. When I look at everything he's saying, I think that's what he's saying. We are justified by a faith that works and not by a faith that doesn't work. Of course, James believes in faith. He's not just saying do works and get to heaven or get to eternity. He's saying you have to have faith. But he puts works, but he doesn't put faith. He's saying a faith that works and not by a faith without works. That's the kind of faith that justifies you. That answers his question at the beginning. Will that faith save him? A faith that works will. A faith that doesn't work won't. Is that clear? Does that make sense? If you live a rebellious life, you ignore the poor, the hungry, the widows, the orphans. You ignore the love and other Christians and brothers. He's saying you might be, have something to worry about on judgment day. Only a faith that cares for the poor, that loves other people, that leads to obedience, only that kind of faith justifies somebody. 
I like to do like experiments in my head with scripture, and I was trying to take my two understandings of Paul and James together, and I tried to think, what would those two say about the thief on the cross? If Paul had to do a commentary on the thief on the cross, I would buy that commentary, email him first, but what would he say in that? What would James say about the thief on the cross? Is everybody familiar with the story of the thief on the cross? I see most heads nodding. Essentially, he's, laying there, he's uh, on the cross with Jesus, and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. For Paul, he would say, that's exactly what I'm talking about. All he did was express faith. He didn't do a single good work. As a matter of fact, the only thing in his life would have been sinful works. He was a thief and probably a murderer until his death. The only thing he did was believe in Jesus and he's in paradise forever. What would James say, though? I think he'd say, I can't see the thief's heart. God can. But God must have known that he had a faith that would have worked. If the thief had continued living, James would say, we would have saw a transformed life we would have saw someone who stopped stealing, who stopped killing, who stopped doing those things and loved the brothers, loved the sisters, cared for the poor. I'm pretty sure that's thinking about this forever. I think that's what they're both saying. And I think that's how they would say that. The reason when somebody goes to a wax museum, they should be able to see the difference between a wax figure and an actual person is because the person is real. When something is dead, lifeless, there is no action that accompanies it. Nothing. It just lies there. When something is alive, there's all kinds of evidence for it. They'll breathe when the wax figure won't. And James's point is that a lifeless faith will not save you. Just essentially saying, I believe, demonstrates, and that's it, it demonstrates that you don't actually believe. True living faith cannot help but want to do good things for God. True living faith cannot help but want to do things for God. Those good things are not the reason we're accepted by God, but they're a flowing, they're an outflowing from our real, true faith. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. Father, the more that I study your word that holds things in tension, the more that I realize that when there is tension in the word, that that's often where the deepest and most satisfying truths come. I thank you for inspiring things that cause us to think about you and your ways and which ultimately gives us a deep and complex understanding of your word. I pray, Father, that all of us would not trust in our righteousness before you, that all of us would declare, like Paul, that we are the chief of sinners. But at the same time, have a faith that wants to love our brothers and love our sisters and care for the less fortunate. Pray that you would work that in all of us. And we ask you this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.